Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. In honor of the kids being here, kids, I've got you some dad jokes. How many of you are ready for some dad jokes? Let me hear an amen, Pastor. (laughs) Notice none of the moms and dads said anything. Especially my kids, they didn't say a word. What do you call a boomerang that doesn't work? A stick. Thank you, Mr. Jonathan. You've used that as a dad joke before. Aurelia, yeah, Aurelia knows that one. Where's she at? Let me see. Here's a good one. What do you call four bullfighters in quicksand? Quattro Cinco. That's right. Come on. Come on, somebody. Hey. Hey. How about that? You know that was good. That's a good one. Where do you find a dog with no legs? The same place you just left him. What do you call a dog with no legs? Nothing, because he ain't coming. This is a tough crowd this morning. Wow. Woo. All right, here's an oldie but a goodie. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. That's right. And then one that goes along with my message this morning. What do you call a Christian that doesn't serve? A contradiction. Oh. Well, I wish I could say that I was closing my message, but I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. Look at your neighbor and say, he's just getting started. We might be in trouble this morning. Amen. I want to continue that series, X, the top reasons, the marks of a disciple. And today, what we're going to talk about, thank you, Maria. We're going to talk about something today that's very important in in the life of becoming, moving from a believer to a disciple. Everybody in this room should say, I don't want to just believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. But let me tell you something. There is a distinct difference. And the world has confused that. The world has told us that if you live in America, you're just a Christian. If you go to church once or twice in a while, you're a Christian, of course. If you've listened or read a Christian book, if you turned on KLTY, you must be a believer. You listen to Christian radio. There is a big difference between being a believer and knowing about Jesus and being a disciple who follows Jesus. It's a big difference. Last week, we, I talked about uncommon love. A real believer, a real disciple loves in an uncommon way. They love people beyond themselves, beyond, beyond who they are. And the week before that, I talked about how a real disciple is passionate, passionate, radically passionate about Jesus. Not a take it or leave it kind of thing. I want everything that Jesus has. This week, I want to talk to you specifically about being a disciple means that you have a heart of a servant. You have a heart of the servant. Now, before I read in Matthew chapter 20, I want to just kind of give you a little bit of context this morning because if you don't catch the context in this passage, you'll miss really the whole meat of it. So what has happened in Matthew chapter 20? Jesus has just given a parable about a vineyard. And this was the parable he gave in just summarizing. 
He said, I've got, there's these men who came to this vineyard and they worked. He hired some in the morning, he hired some in the afternoon, and he hired some in the evening. And at the end of the day, he paid everybody the same. Now, if you pause right there, and I tell you, if you go to work tomorrow at 8 o'clock, and then somebody shows up at noon, and then somebody else shows up about 4.15, and you all get the same pay, what are you going to be doing? Knocking on the boss's door. Hey, what's going on here? This is not right. Something's wrong. Explain this to me. And what if the boss were to tell you, hey, I'm trying to make a point. You say, hey, buddy, make your point with somebody else. Something's not right. But whether you worked all day or half a day or whether you worked the last 45 minutes of the day, it's really none of your business because you don't work for you, you work for someone else. And Jesus tries to make this point. And what he does is, is he catches us up and when you come to verse 20 of Matthew chapter 20, you see a Jesus and what he does is he starts dealing with this difference between a person who just believes and, ha- and loves all the perks. Remember I talked last week about Jesus being the, the, the loaves and fish guy. You know, hey man, everybody loves a free meal. Everybody loves it when Jesus pays your medical bills because he just heals you all of a sudden. Or when Jesus pays your taxes by send, sending you fishing. How many of you would like for that to happen this April? Lord, just send me fishing. Lord, we've got to pay our taxes. Go fishing. And Jesus is making this this distinction between a believer who just likes the perks and a disciple who follows and who serves. Look Look with me in verse 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 says this. And when the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him, what is it you want, he asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. One of the first things that you have to understand, if you want to have a heart of a servant, if you want to be a disciple and have that heart, that true heart of what it means to really follow Jesus, you need to understand that you constantly have to learn to monitor your motives. You have to always monitor your mother. The mother of James and John, they come, she comes to Jesus and she's kneeling down in a very respectful way, in a very nice, polite way, the way that you would normally do it if you were asking for a real favor. And that's what she says. Lord, grant me this favor. Now, this mom's name is Salome. She was the mother of James and John. Now, in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, you see the same story, the same, the same uh, uh, telling And Mark really alludes to the fact that James and John were really excited about mom going to Jesus. Because, you know, I mean, it's a mom. I mean, how are you going to turn mom down? I mean, when mom asks for something, come on, you're going to try to let mom, you know, I mean, you're going to be nice to mom. And when she asks for the favor and James and John, yeah, yeah, you go ask because I think you'll give it. And she goes and she begins to ask Jesus, and this is her request, grant one of these two sons of mine to sit at your right and your left hand. What she's really saying 
is she's asking, hey, would you, we know that, 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 that one of these days our, we're going to be sitting with you and reigning with you because she had remembered in a chapter previously, she had remembered the words of Jesus and Jesus says, one of these days, I, and when I come into my kingdom, I'm going to sit on a throne and you're going to be able to rule and reign with me. So she caught that and immediately caught that mom's ear. Hey, my, my boys are going to be rulers. They're going to be princes. They're going to be kings. They're going to be, they're going to be important people in this new kingdom. And what she does is she comes to Jesus and she asks this favor and she said, Lord, I tell you what, why don't we go ahead and extend that privilege now? Let's get that, that whole ruling and reigning part and being important part. Why don't we just do that now? Why don't you make my boys the number one guys now? Why don't you help them and treat them to a special privilege? And why don't you recognize them and honor them? And why don't you put them in the front of the line? Move them up in front of everybody else. Can I just confess something? This week, I didn't do that. Has anybody ever driven north on I-35 and you tried to exit on, on uh, 380 to go east or west? If you're coming up 35 and you notice when you get back to UNT, there is a line of cars about a half a mile long. And they're lined up, and what are they doing? They're waiting to exit. Because I'm driving, and I'm needing to get somewhere because I'm kind of in a hurry. We were taking a trip, had to go see uh, Seth out in Lubbock Run at Tech. We're trying to just get up there. And I had the encouragement. On one shoulder, the Holy Spirit is saying, get in line. But on my right, my wife was saying, get in front of them, cut, jump up there, don't go in there. Let me tell you something, don't mess with Shannon when she's driving. NASCAR has called her several times and said, hey, I think you can win. I blow past all these people and just where the, the paint starts to separate, whoosh, whooped in there, yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, we all want to be first, right? But what happened is Salome and these boys, James and John, they missed what Jesus said in verse in, in, in Matthew 19 30 when he says, But many of you who are first will be last. And the last, those of you who are last, will be first. And then in verse 16, he says it before we start our text. So the last will be first and the first will be last. In other words, what he's saying is those of you who are looking for special treatment in this life won't receive it in the next. Warren Wiersbe says this. He said, most people, when they hear Jesus talk, they hear something different than what he's saying. Because Jesus usually talks about the cross, but what we usually hear him talking about is the crowns. You see, it's easy for our motives to get off when we serve, isn't it? It really is. I mean, let's be honest. It's very easy. We're naturally selfish. We are naturally self-absorbed. It's just the way we are put together in this nature we're not naturally selfless. And it's easy for our motives to move in the wrong direction. It's easy for a disciple to lose track of his motives. James and John, they were interested in recognition. They, they wanted to be treated different. They wanted to be treated special. They wanted people, when they walked in the room, they wanted people to say, wow. 
Those are some men of God. Whew. Ooh, those, those, those guys, I mean, look at them. Somebody's following behind them, carrying their towel around. Ooh, look at that. Man, they must be very important. And it's easy, very easy for us, especially in our self-reporting world. Some of you missed that. In our self-reporting world. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, tic-tac. I said that to the kids. I said, what you looking on that tic-tac? He, sorry, just shook his head. Dad, move along. Our self-reporting world, we want to share all of the good stuff that's happening in our life, don't we? And we certainly want to share all of it when we are doing the good. Did you see that picture that I posted? I was praying with a homeless man. That's just who I am. I got tons of likes. See that picture of me volunteering at Our Daily Bread? Took a picture of the sign right up in front, me with the sign. Volunteering. Volunteering. We have to be careful in our self-reporting world because a true disciple has to monitor those, those motives. We live in this world, and there's a, there's a term that was coined not too, well, not too long ago, a few years ago, called virtue signaling. How many of you have heard this term? Virtue signaling is something that, that has been coined, and what it does is it, it means that, that people or a company do things or tag themselves in a particular way in order to seem virtuous or compassionate about a specific uh, goal or person or group or cause. And so they'll wear the flag of Ukraine on their lapel because... I stand with Ukraine. Or they'll mention a slogan. And you'll see it on advertisements. Because they want to look like that they are so virtuous. Can I just tell you something? Politicians do that to get votes. Companies do that to increase revenue. And a lot of people do those things and post and self-report so that they can gain more friends and can get recognition for themselves that they don't truly deserve. And here's why. Because their motives are not pure. We live in a world filled with people whose motives are not pure, but they want you to think that they are. And being a disciple means that you monitor those motives and you watch yourself and you make sure that while you're doing something, you always know the reason why and you don't engage into that type of, of mentality or that type of service because a true servant's heart monitors their inner motives. They remind themselves... That I'm not serving to impress. I'm not serving to gain the favor of anybody else. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that I serve and Him alone. That's the only reason why I'm doing this. Because the Lord sees our true motivations. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, 5, verse 5 says, Wait until the Lord comes and He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. And He will expose, listen, the motives of men's hearts. You can't hide it, so you better monitor it. One of these days, Jesus is going to call it all out. 
focused on it. I thought you were so virtuous. The world thought you were something because all that you put out about yourself. But let me tell you something. It was just, it was just empty words. He goes on, look at it with me in, in verse 22. He says, he says, you don't know what you are asking when he replies to Salome. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? And listen to this. Look at, look at what he says. We can, they answer. James and John standing right there behind their mama. We can. Yeah. Pass it on over, Jesus. We can, we can. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from this cup. But to sit at my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those from whom have been prepared by my Father. You see, what a, a, to develop that servant's heart, you have to understand that a servant has to not just monitor his motives, but he has to accept the inconvenience and the unremarkable nature of doing the job. Now, that's a lot to be said, but it's a very, very important. It's a truth that you have to get. If you really want to be a disciple and you want to serve other people, can I just tell you, it's going to inconvenience your life. And let me tell you something else that's even on top of that. Most of the time, it will be very unremarkable. James and John were so quick to answer, oh, we can't. We can drink from that cup, but they had no idea what it meant to serve. I've known people that all they wanted to do was to get involved, and I use, I use ministry as an example because they just wanted to get involved. I want to be on that platform so I can sing. I want to be on that platform so I can preach, and I just want to get involved, and I want to do that, but they have no idea what the struggle is. I tell my staff this all the time. Don't let your prayer time be less than your platform time. Because if your platform time is longer than your prayer time, you've got a problem. You see, there's nothing sensational about getting to church early on a Sunday morning. Because you've got to practice for the worship team. There's nothing sensational about changing a diaper in the nursery at church. There's nothing sensational about standing at a door or handing out a program that causes people to say, wow, that's amazing. What a servant of God. There's nothing in sensational about teaching a class or leading a small group. But a servant a true, with a true heart learns to drink the cup They drink the cup of inconvenience. They drink the cup of, of, of self-sacrifice. They drink the cup of not even getting a pat on the back when they've spent hours doing the job. That's a good, that's a good time for all the adults to say, Amen, Pastor. Can I tell you, maybe it should happen, but it doesn't. Nobody will be standing next week outside the Go Kids room where there's a bunch of kids over there and you got adults leading. Nobody's going to be standing outside that doorway applauding those workers. Man, praise God. Thank you. Thank you for all of your help and your service today because those are my kids. Thank you for pouring into their lives. Any of you have served in children's ministry or nursery, you ever had somebody stand in the hallway and clap and applaud? Thank you for changing my kids' dirty diaper. Them things are bad. woo 
It's an unremarkable job serving the Lord sometimes. Unremarkable in the fact that nobody is going to really give you that applause. It may come, but it may not. But the best way to really check your motives is to ask the same question that Jesus asked Salome and James and John when he said this. He said, what is it that you really want? And that's how you do it. You see, when we accept that job and we begin to believe that, that following Jesus and being a real disciple means that life is hassle-free and it's always convenient and it's exciting and celebrating, it's not. It will cost you to serve Jesus. It will cost you to be a real disciple. It's going to cost you a little time. It's going to cost you some sleep. It may, if you're working with any kids or if you're doing anything, it may cost you a little sanity. Can I hear a parent say amen? But as you drink that cup of service, I want to remind you of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58, when he says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Stand firm and let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor to the Lord is not in vain. Listen to me, disciples in the room. Every service that you do matters. Everything that you do in the name of Jesus matters. Whether it's giving a cup of cold water or clothing a homeless person or giving a penny in the offering. Everything that you do matters. And Jesus knows who you are. And He's watching you. So if your motives are pure and you're serving even though it's inconveniencing you and even though it's unremarkable and nobody's giving applause, you are living a heart of a servant. And then he goes on. Verse 24. I love this. The story begins to change. He said, but when the ten heard about this, you got Salome and James and John standing there asking Jesus. When the other ten heard about what has, has happened, they were indignant with the two brothers. You want to know how those other ten people felt? The same way you would have felt. The word indignant, indignant means that they were greatly afflicted. In our vernacular, they were hacked off. It hacked them off. I can't believe these guys to go up there and to try to hustle, our, hustle their way into Jesus and, and try to pr promote themselves. I can't believe that they would do this. Here's the thing. They were really, really mad. They were indignant, the Bible says. They were indignant. But the problem is, they weren't mad because James and John had a poor understanding of what it meant to be a servant. They were mad that James and John got to Jesus first. That was the real problem. They were upset that James and John got to Jesus. That's what made them mad. That's what upset them. You see... When there's a lack of servant's attitude, there will always be discord. Whenever you have people who come together and they don't have the attitude of a servant, there's going to be some dissension and, 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 and some discord. Let me apply this in a little bit different way because a lot of us right now, we're just thinking, oh, we can serve in the church and that's all you get. Let me apply it to, to this. 
I've never seen a couple that was dedicated to serve one another have a bad marriage. I've never seen two people who have been married who their goal was to outserve their spouse. I've never seen them have a bad marriage. Didn't say that they never had an argument. Didn't, didn't ever say that there was a little bit of hurt they ever had to deal with. But they've never ended up with bitterness and discord, which are the two roots of divorce. They've never had, they don't have a bad marriage. Why? Because their job, they feel like in their marriage, is to serve their spouse to the utmost. That's what it really means to serve. You see, to serve, to have a servant's heart means you put others ahead of yourself. They become first. I really believe that in our, in our generation where the age of young people getting married has been pushed higher and higher and higher, I believe part of this, and I may be wrong, but it's my, it's my true opinion, I believe that part of the reason why we see marriages and younger people struggle is, or, or young people that don't get married is because they realize that in order to get married, they would have to serve someone else. That's what marriage is really all about. Young person, single person. It's not about finding your soulmate. It's about finding someone you can serve. That's what it really means to follow Jesus. And when, it, and when you begin to put others first... The root of that, what causes you to do that is first and foremost this one attribute that every disciple must know and understand and that is the attribute of humility. Humility is the fountain of a servant. It is the the core of who Jesus was. It is the core of every true disciple. Humility. You see, a disciple, a follower of Jesus without a humble heart is nothing but a volunteer. Let me say that again. A follower of Jesus without a humble heart is just a volunteer. There's a difference between a servant and a volunteer. When you go out to lunch today, there's going to be, you're going to sit down and there's going to be a young person or whoever, they're going to walk up to your table. Hi, my name is Tom and I'll be your server. Now let me ask you something. Do you want to go to a restaurant and enjoy your meal and the person that's bringing your food, you want them to be a server or a volunteer? Because let me tell you, they're going to treat you different. You're going to get different service because if they're just a volunteer, they don't care if your food's hot or cold. They don't care if it tastes well or if it doesn't. They don't care how long you sit there before your cup gets filled again. That's just a volunteer. But a server says, I want to put them before myself. Husbands and wives, husband, you want, do you want your wife to be a servant or a volunteer? Ladies, you want your husband to be a servant to you or just a volunteer? That's a big difference. 
You see, a servant puts people in front of them. It puts, they put people ahead of themselves. They, they go ahead and advance others before they... And that's exactly what has to happen in the life of disciples. Notice what Jesus does. When he sees this discord, the ten say, Hey, look, what, what's going on? And the two are like, you know, I mean, Mom, she, she just... What does Jesus do? Look at, look at this next verse. Look at verse 25. So what's Jesus do? He calls them all together. This was a real life come to Jesus meeting. He called, okay boys, come here. Come here. Let's do some talking. Verse 25 goes on. He says, now, listen boys, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, the world says that if you'll spend all of your energy to get to the top, and once you get there, remind everybody that you are on the top, then you are important. But he says, look at verse 26. Not so with you. Everybody say that with me. Not so with you. Not so with a follower of Jesus. Not so with a disciple. Maybe a believer could get by with that, but not so with a disciple when it comes to serving. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Boy, there's a contradiction in our understanding, isn't there? Verse 27 says, And whoever wants to be first must be your, he steps it up a lever, a slave. Jesus reframes our entire understanding of what it means to be great. He says, not so with you. A Christ follower doesn't live like that. That's not his goal. In the family of God, there is only one category, and that is a servant. There's only one. In churches, there are three people who will walk through the door. You'll have visitors who will come in. They're there to check things out, make sure things are good, and they fit them fine. But if it doesn't, they'll just keep on moving, go down, down the street. You might have renters that come in. We have renters that will come in church. They're there, and they'll stay as long as, as everything is good and it's taken care of. But when things go bad, they'll go rent another place. But then you have owners. And I use that illustration in the church because it's really the similar way in the kingdom of God. You have people who follow Jesus because things are going great. Man, he's feeding us. You know, he's got all these things are going well. And I'm going to serve Jesus as long as things are going well. And then you've got others who will stick around for a while. And as long as it just keeps coming and flowing their direction, man, I'm going to stay. This is kind of good. But when Jesus steps up and he says, look, if you want to be great, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be a part of this kingdom, you have to be a servant. If you really want to be something, you make yourself a slave to everyone around you. That's when people start checking at the door. Because the heart of a servant is only found in the heart of a disciple. 
I said the heart of a servant is really only found in the heart of a disciple. You have to have made your mind up. I'm going to follow Jesus. I have decided no turning back, no turning back. I will serve no matter what. I will serve when it's not fun. I will serve when it's inconvenient. I will serve when nobody else is stepping up. I will serve because I have that heart. That is the heart of who I am. Kingdom greatness is when you give up your personal rights and you serve other people. The goal of a disciple is to serve people, not to be admired by them. That's the true heart. It's a life of contrast when you follow Jesus. Because in Matthew 16, 25, he says, if you want to gain your life, you have to lose your life. Matthew 18, 3, he says, if you want to experience eternal life, you want to live forever in in paradise, then you have to live on this side with the faith of a child. Matthew 19, 21 says, in order for you to receive from God, you first have, you need to give, become generous. And to be great, he says in Matthew 20, you become a servant. So our motives have to be in check. We have to understand that drinking the cup means it's going to inconvenience us. And we also have to remind ourselves that it's always about putting others first. That's what it really means to have that heart. But let me close with this point. Look at verse 28. Jesus makes this declaratory statement and helps us to really understand why Jesus comes. And he gives us the example of what we are supposed to to be. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. He deserved to be served. He's the Son of God. He didn't come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul really explains this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he didn't hang on. Just because he's God didn't say, You know what? I've got rights. I don't have to do this. He let that go. And in verse 7 he says, But he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He's God. He's fully God. But instead, he says, in order for me to save them and to seek them, I have to become one of them. I have to be a servant to them. That way he couldn't command us to follow him. We could be served by him and we would love him for it. Dave Thomas, how many of you like Wendy's? Any Wendy's fans in the room? McDonald's. Let me see your hand. McDonald's. Burger King. Wendy's. Whataburger. In-N-Out Burger. That's not a burger. That's dead chicken. I need red meat, Vince. I don't need no chicken. 
I get an amen? amen. My wife says I need more chicken. I like a burger. How do, how do I got there? I don't know. But let's go back to Wendy's. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, you remember years ago you saw him on the TV. He did some commercials. His daughter did some commercials for Wendy's. One time, Dave Thomas, his picture appeared on their annual business report. Picture of Dave. And instead of Dave standing there in a suit looking all sharp, Dave is standing there on the front of their company's annual report cover with shareholders and stock owners and all that kind of stuff. He's standing there in an apron that's dirty, holding a mop over a mop bucket. And this is what he said. This was the statement that he wrote. He said, I got my MBA long before I got my GED. He said, at Wendy's, MBA does not stand for Master of Business Administration. It means mop bucket attitude. He went on to say in that article, he said, I, I learned, I got my MBA from modeling the master servant. We need to understand the theology of the bowl again. If you'll remember in the New Testament, Daniel, would you mind coming? In the New Testament, there's a story of Jesus. And when Jesus... Standing before Pilate, we know who Pilate was. He's standing before Pilate, and the crowd is pulling on Pilate. Bring Barabbas out, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And Pilate could not find anything wrong with Jesus. He was perfect. He had done nothing wrong. He was guilty of no, of no crime. He was guilty of, of, of no sin, of course. Jesus was Standing there, he had been abused already, and he, he, was, he was innocent. And so the Scripture says that Pilate walks over and he takes a bowl. And he dips his hands, and the Bible says that he washes his hands, and he says this, I wash my hands of this man. I wash my hands of him. In other words, what he's saying, it's not my responsibility. I have no part to play. I don't want any part to play in this. I wash my hands. And then in the Scripture, there's another story of a bowl. Matter of fact, it was the night before Jesus went to see Pilate. The Bible says that he had invited everyone to share in the Passover, all of his disciples, and as they came into the house, Jesus was there. What Jesus did was something that actually irritated Peter because Peter thought, no, this is not something you should do. But Jesus picked up a bowl as those disciples with that nasty, nasty stuff all over their feet. You see, they didn't wear shoes. They didn't have Nike Airs on. They didn't have slick, slick hey dudes. They, they were wearing sandals 
and they walked through dusty dirt roads and they stepped in cow poo and donkey poo and everything else. Their feet were nasty. There was stuff underneath their toenails. It was, it was for real. They just live in life. One of the things that was so important was that when you came into a house, you cleansed you. You left that stuff behind. You left all that dirt. And as Jesus took the bowl and he began to wash their feet, Peter was indignant. He said, Lord, what are you doing? That's, a jo- That's not a job for you. You should not do that. You're above this. We should find somebody to do this. And what Peter was doing was indicting his own self. Somebody below me should be doing this. The servant of the house, and that's usually who did this, was the lowest person on the pole. If you were new and you were the new guy in the wait staff, you were the guy that washed everybody's feet. You were the servant. Jesus picks up the bowl and the towel and he begins to perform the ministry of the bowl and the towel the Bible says he knelt down just like a servant would and he began to wash their feet he served them he gave himself away that's that last point is if you want to have a servant's heart you have to follow the example of Jesus you follow the example of Christ years ago I saw I saw foot washings take place anybody ever seen that I'm really kind of glad that's not an ordinance of the church. I'd, I'd prefer communion and baptism versus foot washing. If you ever had that happen to you, you know that it's just as humbling to take your shoes off and take your socks off and expose your feet. To sit in the chair and to let someone begin to put water upon your feet And then take a towel and dry your feet. It was a very physical way to demonstrate what it really meant to be a servant, to humble ourselves. We don't have to do a foot washing today. Because I think the most important lesson can be learned not just from the bowl, but from our hearts. Because you can wash somebody's feet in church, but what Jesus wants you to do is go outside the church and serve people who don't deserve it, who don't care if you get a prize or not. We serve because that's what a disciple does. They serve in the example of Jesus. Let me just close by saying this. In myself, I'm nothing. I know nothing, I have nothing, and I do nothing. But through Christ, I am the righteousness of God. Through Christ, I have the mind of Christ. Through Christ, Peter says that I have been given all things 
pertaining to life and for godliness. And through Christ, Paul said in Philippians that I can do all things through Christ. It gives me strength. The mark of a disciple is the heart of a servant. And that is who Jesus is. Here's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to take communion. I need our servers to come and be ready to serve communion. We're going to close our service like this this morning. In the seats in front of you, there are these connection cards. We ask our guests to fill those out. We ask for people to just say, hey, we visited you, and, and we just want to thank you for that. But also on that connection card is a place that says, I'd like to serve. Now, this message today is not about recruiting new volunteers. It's about making the point that a true disciple will serve. Don't be the contradiction. A Christian serves in whatever way they can. If you're serving today, I am so thankful that you have that heart. Wherever you serve, whatever you're doing, you say, well, you know what, it's not a lot. Well, if you can do more, that's great. But if you're serving, you are fulfilling the role of what a disciple really is. But if you're not, maybe you should look at that card and say, you know what, I want to be involved. Don't just be a sponge and come to church and soak it all in. Be that sponge that soaks it in and then squeezes it out on somebody else. That's what, that's what the kingdom is all about. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.